This episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent big wins and memorable seasons is with championship rings. And the team at Legend Rings is here to help college coaches do just that. Visit legendrings.com and stay tuned later in the show for a special offer for you and your team, coach. And now it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host on the list for a future seat on the Supreme Court and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, we are talking about culture today, how to build it, why it's needed, how this generation is different than other generations you may have coached in the past when it comes to building culture and getting them to buy into what you are all about within your program. Uh, That is the topic because this is the time of year when you want to focus on doing something different maybe the next year with the next class of recruits that's going to come in. And to help us through this discussion, we're going to be talking to author, speaker, trainer, and former coach Teresa Beckman. She has been doing this for for years now, since leaving coaching in 2015. She's worked through great organizations like True North Sports, uh, Celia Slater's great, uh, great organization, Growing Leaders, and she also has her own entity, Tree Roots Consulting. And she, she works with programs and teams at all levels, all different sports, in helping the team to build culture correctly. Uh, she's also written a new book, Managing Your Culture. It's a workbook, and we'll link to it for coaches who want to order it here in the show notes. I uh, highly recommend you do. But we wanted to have a conversation with Teresa about what she's seeing as she works with these teams and gets them to redefine and establish culture and mainly what the the differences are between this generation and past generations when it comes to how they take in uh, instruction, how they buy into uh, to culture initiatives that you as a coach might want to uh, might want to uh, have in place, and also how all this affects recruiting. So it's going to be a great conversation. I apologize in advance because there were a couple of places where we had some audio um, difficulties, and you're going to have to maybe listen a little more carefully in spots than uh, than others. Uh, Coach Beckman was out using some free college Wi-Fi outside, and I think that may have contributed to it. But uh, but you know, we'll give her a break because it's such good content that uh, it's worth uh, focusing in and listening a little bit harder in some spots than others. So with that, we started off the conversation by asking the question, what is it that's so different about this generation, Gen Z, that all of you now as coaches are forced to kind of get in line and make sure that they are uh, focused on the way that you want to build your culture, uh, getting them to buy into that. Uh, a lot of coaches are are realizing it's a little more difficult than it was and different than it was with past generations. And Coach Beckman has some answers as to why. Well, I think with Generation Z, what we have to realize is I know that sometimes they can it can seem frustrating, but I think they're actually holding us to a higher standard. Like Gen Z is forcing us to lead through influence instead of through force. And I think when when building a culture so often, coaches are so tempted to go to behaviors first and they just wanna make rules and, and regulate this and, and you know uh, use power over to get uh, this result. And I think that this generation is just not having it and, and I'm okay with that. They're kind of holding us to, 
to be better and they're expecting more of us and it's not like they're doing it intentionally it's just because of how how they've been raised with the you know access to every piece of information they can ever want and, and just the way that we're raising them and our, our society is built right now and how quickly you know social media and our phones are are developing faster than we can civilize them i i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's making coaches be better and form better more psychologically safe cultures if they want to perform at a high level so you mentioned the term or the phrase uh, uh, influence over force. Yes. And so for a coach that just heard that and was like me, like, wait, what does that mean? What I think I know what that means, but give me an example of each and kind of walk me through what you see uh, coaches doing uh, maybe 10 years ago that worked that now uh, maybe pointing them towards the, the influence side of that that would work now. But, but define that a little more just for coaches so that they can understand what, what you're seeing. Sure. I, I think Brene Brown is the best one that um, she, she speaks on this and, and writes about this better than, than a lot of people. But there's also a, another culture coach uh, that works with really high-level soccer programs. Her name is Dr. Pippa Grange. She has a book called Fear Less, and I'm actually just in the middle of it right now. It's fantastic stuff. But um, – Renee puts it as this, power over versus power with. And I do think that the era of power over in athletics, and athletics is sometimes like, you know, the canary in the in the coal mine, right? So what's happening in athletics, sometimes you see ripple into the business world, and I guess vice versa, but I feel like athletes aren't, they're not having it anymore. And that's not a bad thing because fear is always a short-term solution. And so what I see coaches doing is, is okay, they want this behavior, so they just like make a bunch of rules. And they're usually gotcha rules that like are in response to transgressions of, of uh, athletes gone past, right? And, um, and they just accumulate them over time, so the rule book gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And I'm not saying that you don't have standards and you don't have some, some gu guidelines to keep you on the right road. I'm just saying, can we, can we write them in a way that's a little bit more values-based and more timeless instead of based on well, this person did something wrong. I, I think this, um, Coach K actually um, was the first person I ever heard say this, and I, I learned this from him, that rules and, and whatever, like, you know, standards or whatever you have, they should be your servant, not your master. And so many times I see athletic programs have these guidelines or whatever, and they, they have to, you know, make decisions that aren't necessarily the right decision because it says that in the book. And here's the deal. If you bend the rule that's written and it's a really specific rule, then all the rest of your stuff, everything else in your book becomes completely irrelevant and um, you lose trust. And I'll tell you this real quickly. When I played, I'm a Gen Xer. When I played, I trusted my coach until there was ample reason not to trust. Today, there's less trust from Generation Z in authority figures, rightfully so, if you ever watch, you know, media, the news, anything. Um, so they come in and they don't trust you until you give them ample reason to trust. And oh, by the way, you have to keep re-earning that. And it's harder and harder than ever because they don't, also haven't developed a lot of self-trust. So if you're not connecting with them first and creating an environment where they feel like they're not going to be ostracized or kicked out of it, if they don't say the right thing, if they have any sort of diversity of thought, then um, you're going to have a heck of a time trying to cajole them because they're not having it, and neither are their parents. There is a better, better way, to way to do this. So you mentioned the word trust, and um, the interesting part of that, Coach, is that 
in the studies that we've done on the recruiting side, one of the big things in the middle of the recruiting process that that we discover coaches uh, need to earn with their athletes and that athletes are actively looking for is trust. They so they get excited about a school, they get excited about you know coach wanting them. Some you know interest develops based on where it's located, or the major, or the conference, and everything. But then about halfway through the process we find that in almost all cases, small schools, large schools, they sort of pump the brakes and say, wait a minute, can I really trust this coach? Can I, are, are they telling me stuff that I want to hear? Which sounds like what you're talking about when they get to their program, that there's constantly needing uh, the, the need for trust to be built and rebuilt and rebuilt again and prove it over and over again. Um, so am I understanding that right? Is that kind of what you're saying? That's exactly, that's fascinating. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, I, their, their BS meter, for lack of a better term, is super thick. And it's, it's, it's really well-developed. And think about why that is. They are inundated with data throughout every single part of their day, right? It's just, it's in their pocket all the time. So they're, they don't have time for, for BS and they can spot inconsistency pretty quickly. So if you say, hey, it's about the process, and then you're inconsistent when you lose a when you lose a game or a match, you're inconsistent in your response, even though you've just preached that it's about the process, they know really quickly that you're full of it. It's actually about winning and losing. And winning and losing, hey, we all want to win, but winning to athletics is like money is to business. If you get into business just to make money, you will fail. I can give you 5,000 trillion different examples of that being true. Money for business and winning for teams is a result. It's data on how you're doing everything else. It is never the goal. And if you, and most coaches have know to say that now, but if you say that or anything else, by the way, and you're, you're, um, you don't really truly, you're not authentic in that, uh, in your values, um, boy, this generation is a mess. They don't play. They, they'll know it. And so it, they're already coming into you with a lower baseline of trust um, for various reasons. Um, some, a lot of them aren't even your fault, but it is what it is, right? So they're coming to you with a lower baseline of trust. And then if you're not really clear about what you believe in, about what you value, about what your program is about, they're going to spot it pretty quickly. Wow. Hey, and just uh, as you were saying that, curiosity got the best of me. You said 5,000 trillion. Do you know how many zeros that is? I don't, I don't know. 15, 15 zeros. So the podcast is only going to go about 30, 35 minutes. I don't have time for all 5,000 trillion examples, but I trust you. Just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> Dan, I can yeah, always I can count on you to, you know, hold me to the fire on, on the... <laughs> yeah, just, you know, looking for that I see yeah. <laughs> 5,000 trillion is uh, is a lot. All right, so refocus. Um, the thing that I think most coaches might press back against is kind of you brought it up. You're a Gen Z, uh, Gen Xer. You played for coaches that were more of probably the force in, in terms of uh, rules and culture building. It's going to be my way. Everybody conforms. And you still have a lot of those coaches out there. How easy is it for a coach at the college level to switch gears, change, and adapt to what you're suggesting and what your research finds works best when for the last 10, 15, 25 years, they've been doing it this other way? Um, I mean, you see the, 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 the tension there, the, you know, the push versus pull 
what what is your advice to those coaches? Because I'm also assuming you train and talk to a lot of those types of coaches who bring an older style into culture building and recruiting and communication with their teams. That's such a great question. Um, you're a hundred percent right. I was one of those coaches back in the day. Um, you know, I've been out of coaching since 2015 officially. I've been coaching coaches and and you know other teams since that time. But I do work with those coaches, and I will say this. When those coaches do decide to make the switch, they enjoy coaching again. So here's here's my thing. I think a lot of coaches are um, getting, I don't know if burned out is the right word, but it, we'll use it because it's a it's a decent, I guess, picture of, of what I'm talking about. But they, they're getting frustrated with the lack of that, sh- I don't want to say shortcut, but it's kind of a shortcut of being able to just say, you, you know, do what I say, not, not what I do or whatever. Um, and they're getting burned out. And I think that as that happens and they get out of coaching because of the way coaches are developed, right? There's no licensing. There's no, you know, like specific degree you have to have. There's no school you have to go to. You can major in underwater basket weaving and become a college coach or a professional coach, right? So it's an apprenticeship model. So if all of these coaches who are, as we will say, maybe a little old school, um, if they're just like, forget it, I'm done, this is just not worth it, and they get out, that's really sad because we're losing a lot of experience and, it, and it's just a little bit of a paradigm shift. I will say this, I have worked with some coaches who have coached one way for a long time and they've flipped their paradigm and they've never enjoyed it more. So I do think that this is a way, like, you know, I think that there are, there are coaches and I've heard this from them that say, I just feel a little betrayed by my players or I feel like they don't, you know, they just don't wanna be around us anymore. We don't connect the same way and then, you know, if I can just get them to flip their paradigm a little bit, boy, I, I've seen the I've seen them stay in and go, this is great. Like this is so much better. And so I just think it's a little bit of a paradigm shift. And that's kind of why I wrote the the workbook, Managing Your Culture. I you know, I, I created a model to help coaches see a way to just think about culture differently because Culture is a really complex topic. It's like trust, love. It's like all these big things and everybody has a different opinion of it. And everybody talks about team culture, but I wanted somebody to be able to have something sort of tangible that they can hang their culture on simultaneous to kind of accounting for the shift in the generations. Right, right. The other question I have is take it over to recruiting for a second because so many coaches ask me, is there a way to determine the personality characteristics of a recruit? Because I want them to fit into our culture, which is evidence that culture is becoming more and more important to coaches. They want to get uh, on it early as possible in terms of identifying the right or wrong culture fits with recruits. How would you advise a coach for that? Or And maybe my follow-up question, are, is there anything that they look into or that has been proven sort of consistent in maybe revealing a red flag before they get to campus or, uh, or where it is a perfect fit. How, how would you, and I, I, again, I'm sure other coaches have asked you that same question. So how would you answer that for that coach? Uh, Yeah, no, that's a, it's a really great question. And it's hard because, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a stat. Um, I wish I could tell you it's, it's escaping me right now, but uh, I, I cannot remember, but two thirds of, 
college students, it was actually like 18 to 24 year olds were pulled. This is like thousands of, of uh, people that age were pulled. This is in the last five years. Two thirds of them um, said that there's not actual moral right and wrongs. So our moral equivalency has is, is kind of gone down. Um, so, and that's just their perception. Like they're like, okay, well, no, there's not moral certainties. And we know that there are, right? We know that if you're going to start a business, you're going to hire somebody who's honest over somebody who's dishonest. There are timeless values, right? So with that being said, and actually using the, the honesty uh, you know, example, uh, it's really hard to vet when you're recruiting because you're not necessarily always getting the real picture because you know there's a lot of value in having a spot on the team. Sometimes it's, it's a scholarship or whatever. So I would say this. I would say... To coaches, I always say, watch what they do, especially in response to you as you're building a relationship with them. What do they do? Like, say you you give them some feedback and then you go and watch them play again and they still do that same thing. Um, maybe that's a red flag. Watch what the, how they treat their teammates. So I'm, I, I'm always a, uh, you, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying kind of person. So I, I, I'm just really going to, have to watch the character things. I'm going to watch for the culture things that I'm looking for. And it doesn't mean if they do one of those wrong that they can't fit in. Most of the time, people are good, but environments that are filled with fear and a lack of psychological safety can make good people um, operate in really dysfunctional ways. So that's the first part of my answer. Hey coach, it's Dan. Just wanted to jump in here real quick and ask you, are you looking back on this last year and thinking, ah, I wish we could have done something special for this team or for this group of seniors or for a couple of kids that really stood out and, uh, and earned some individual honors with our team? Wish we would have done more. Well, you know what? First of all, there's still time. You still can. But for the next class, I don't want you to feel like that. And if you don't want to feel like that, jump on over to legendrings.com. They're the sponsor of our College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, and they are fantastic. They give amazing-looking athletic rings to coaches, to programs, to give to their athletes. Rings that, if you go to their website and look, you're going to think, I could never afford those things. They look like they're about $10,000 a piece. Well, spoiler alert, they aren't, Coach. They're fantastic-looking rings that you can have at a fraction of that price, College programs all around the country now are hopping onto this because they know that rings for an athlete mean something. That's the thing they'll keep forever, they'll talk about forever, they'll show people. You want to build credibility and loyalty in your program, especially among your alumni when they become alumni and they want to stay involved in the program, give them this ring. It's an, an investment in you, the, the type of program that you run, and your future in that program. So. Go to legendrings.com, mention Dan Tudor or the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. They're going to give you a special gift. But what I encourage you to do is just go and take a look and create a ring because you can do that online. You can create your own ring, your own look, and figure out what the cost is. You're going to be surprised, and I'll bet you that you're going to be very, very tempted to say, you know what, we can do this. This is going to fit into our budget, and this is a fantastic award that we can give to our team this year. A lot of coaches have already done it. We want you to do it as well. So legendrings.com. They're fantastic. Again, go and take a look. You'll be amazed. And uh, something that you can give to your program, to your student athletes, 
that is going to mean something to them for the rest of their life. Just wanted to jump in and say that. Coach, now let's get back to the conversation. The second part of my answer is to really key on where they get their value. If they get their value by how many kills they got or, you know, how many tackles they made, that's going to be a red flag for me because they're also probably going to get their value in the scholarship that I give them and how much playing time they get as a freshman and yada, yada, yada. And you see the transfer portal is, you know, off the charts and retention is, is pretty big. Right. So I, I just think, rather than trying to look for individual attributes, like that person is like, you know, my people. And so I'm going to get, I don't think that's the way to, to use a cultural fit. I think that's a, a cop out a little bit. I think diversity of thought and diversity in general is a really good thing. Um, I, I'm looking at how they behave and then I'm going to coach them and see if they respond. Right. Uh, when you make the wrong choice, when you bring the kid in who isn't going to be a good fit, uh, you did all your homework, but just for whatever reason, it just didn't show up. And now they're on campus, part of your team, and uh, they become, you know, the the problem student athlete. What is the best way or is there a way to bring them into the fold and have them adapt to that culture? Have you seen evidence that it's uh, that it's possible or is that the kid that just is, you know, for the coach, would you advise them? look, this is going to disrupt and, and start tearing down the culture that you built. You need to take action and, and have, uh, you know, set this, this athlete on another, on another course away from your campus. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, very loaded. loaded. I can go 50 places, but I'm going to start here. here. Um, the best you mean 5,000 trillion places. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good thing, Sam. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that back up. <laughs> I like, like it when, when you know when, when I make up numbers, numbers words, words. You should show me. Yeah. I, I think it's a real number. It's it's got fifteen zeros. It's a real number. I don't think it is because yeah, 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 we can be home for a while. Okay. We'll talk about this after the podcast. Fair, fair. Um, I I think this. If you are creating a culture with Gen Z athletes, um, the first thing I will say is they want to be a part. Uh, they want to participate in in creating that culture, and the more you can bring them into the the helping create the culture, the more protective they're going to be of that culture. And if everybody is a part of it, the more they're going to work um, at, from a healthy place to bring everybody into the fold. Um, I will I will then go here. I think accountability is one of those words in athletics. And I'm like, I'm smiling wide when I say this, because I think, and I'm guilty of this, just like almost every other coach in America. I... Um, Accountability is one of those words that we just don't get and we don't define it um, very well. So we think so often I, I, I'll go to teams and I'll be like, you know, what's, what's some of your pain points? Well, they just don't hold each other accountable. By that you mean what? Blank face, right? I think when you have a really clearly defined um, culture, and that's why I made the model. The model is not for you to adopt for your culture. It's for you to look at the model. It's a plug. It's pretty easy. And you could just go, hey, this is how we connect. This is how we connect to our vision. This is how we behave. Here are the habits. Here's how we do feedback. Like, it's pretty simple. If you are really well-defined in your culture, your players are really clear on that. And so holding somebody accountable isn't yelling at them 
about something that they can't even control, it's setting a really clear boundary and then holding people to that boundary without fail. It's why I said earlier, you can't have a rule in your rule book that you're not going to live by because everything else gets devalued, right? So let me give you an example. When I'm working with a team, inevitably, in the first, oh, you know, 10 minutes of a, of a session, somebody will lean over and have a side conversation with somebody else. And, and I will always, I look for this moment, it's, it happens like clockwork. Always, I will stop and very gently just say, hey, because I know that trust touches every part, everything I just described in that model. Trust touches every single part of um, culture. And I know that trust is harder for Gen Z athletes than ever to, to build and maintain with other people and themselves. I know that trust is most important. And, and let me ask you a question. If I'm standing over there on that side of the gym and two people are standing over here and they're whispering back and forth, what do I automatically think they're talking about? And everybody will always say, you. And I say, yep, you're exactly right. Cool. All right. So because I know that trust is so important, that's exactly what happens when we're in the circle. Now I'll give you another one. If, um, if I stood here and I, had, and I scratched my fingernail across the top of my hand for a minute, no big deal. If I did it for a week, uh, maybe a little, I'll have a mark. But if I did it for six months, we'd have a problem, right? It's a death by a million cuts. So that little side conversation, and you might have just been getting clarification, we don't know what that was about. But in somebody's head, that was about either the coach or it was about one of them. We all as humans have this signal alert like uh, or amygdala fires and tells us, uh-oh, what are they talking about? And, it, and it's, a, it's a cut to trust. And because trust is the most important thing, just going to ask you not to do that. And furthermore, while we're on the subject, I'm going to ask you to make sure that you're engaged with whoever's speaking so you're looking at them and your arms aren't crossed. It's not a big deal, but when your arms are crossed, they feel like they're closed off. And again, that, that leads to those death by a million cuts. So that's a really clear boundary, right? From there on, every time I see any of those behaviors, I very gently call it out. And it's a habit. Like, I make sure they know. Like, I'm not mad at you. This is a habit that teams in America have, like everybody all over the world. Like, we do these things, and we don't think about them. But, but trust is the most important thing. And I keep going back to this is why. And here's the boundary. And then I hold them accountable. That's what accountability looks like. And if you're doing culture right, it's never done. So if you have a player that doesn't want to fit into that, they'll either do one of two things. They'll either start to get within the culture and behave in a way that supports the connections between the people into the vision, or they'll leave. Either way, you win. That's how you do that right. 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 Um, I think as I was listening to that, it struck me, I can see why so many teams and programs and departments bring you in to work with their, their student athletes and their coaches because you know your stuff. Um, the, the the question I have is you were talking about, uh, you know, developing that culture. And, you know, we've talked a lot about recruiting on the front end. But, of course, you know, if, if you're doing things right and if things progress the right way, you have an athlete there on campus through their, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. And I'm wondering what you've seen from a, from a, uh, a development standpoint of culture what the differences are of what you have to do with your freshmen versus what you have to do with your seniors and sort of that progression as they spend time in college and mature and change and in some cases get more jaded or maybe negative. They know more of the, uh, you know, the, the, the ugly spots of the, of the, you know, the program, the campus, and now they're just wanting to get 
you know, out of the program. They just want to, you know, they're done with college. You know, it's just that attitude that I want to start life. Um, they're bringing different attitudes to practice. They're diff- they're they're talking differently and acting differently in the locker room than the freshmen. I'm just wondering what what the differences are that a coaches might that a coach might need to take into account building culture with freshmen as well as building that same culture with a senior. Yeah, that's a that's a great question because you have to start somewhere, right? And so, you know, the end goal is to get to where your your juniors and your seniors, your more veteran players, are the ones that are are being the the great role models. They're not you're not burning out as they go through your program. They're getting more and more inspired with experience, but you, you might not be there right now, so you have to start somewhere. And I will say this, the power of role-playing is, is one of the most underutilized things that, um, that I see. And I, I didn't even know this until the last couple of years, probably. I, the, the power of role-playing, and I don't know if it's a Generation Z specific thing, because remember, just a little bit of a paradigm shift here. They're forming their identities through the lens of various social media channels where they have a different identity on Insta, a different identity on their fake Instagram, a different identity on their Snapchat channel, and a different identity in person, right? So they're they're literally forming their identities during their adolescent time with all these um, just conflicting ways of being. And so a lot of them aren't fully seen by actual humans, um, especially adult humans, but like their peers even, um, because they're always... Uh, uh, just creating a, a brand or creating a different persona. And so role-playing gives them some repetitions that they that maybe we didn't have to give people 10 years ago coming into, their, into your program. Um, role-playing is, is good for that. But it also, and it's goofy at first, um, but I think if you can give them scenarios, I'll give you one. Um, so maybe you have a freshman coming in who's really good, and, and you have to really try to avoid comparison because comparison is just another form of shame. And we've got to take shame out of our gyms and out of our locker rooms. We have to. If you wanted them to, to be a part of a psychologically safe environment so that they can f- perform at their highest level, because we know we need to take risks to become our best, um, we've got to get shame out of the locker room. You're never going to achieve what you could if we're using shame as a, as a tool for growth. But um, here's, a, here's one. If you have a freshman coming in who's hot stuff, and this freshman might be a pretty vocal freshman, that freshman, I promise you, is, is, is struggling with the idea that, all right, I'm going to come in, and I don't know if I can say what I'm going to need to say, even though coach is telling me that I should. Like, how are these, these juniors and seniors going to treat me, right? Everybody just wants to belong. At the end of the day, you're trying to create an environment where everybody can belong and, and reach for their best, right? So I might get on it now that we have, you know, everybody can Zoom. I might even before they get there have some Zoom calls, and I feel like everybody has care hours this summer. This summer, but you know, even moving forward, you could do it in person. Where I just put them in a scenario, and I say, okay, I want you, you, and you, and you might even have the freshman in on this role play. I want you to. Here's a scenario. You're worried about being pretty vocal, um, and so you're going to talk to this sophomore about how okay it is to be vocal. And you're gonna lean on our values. You're gonna lean on our, our vision for the program to walk her through what that will look like. Or you might put a scenario together for a senior and you might say, hey, this freshman is totally overstepping her bounds. I want you to work with her on it. And just literally have them, Brene Brown calls it rumbles, 
Um, we practice rumbles like crazy. The value of role play with Gen Z is probably the greatest tool for what you just what you just described. Got it. Okay, I'm going to enter the lightning round now. So these are like quick, short answers. Uh, your best stuff because there's a lot of little things that over the years I've heard from coaches related to culture, related to building it, um, overcoming bad uh, bad situations. So uh, kind of give me your quick hits here in the time that we have left. First question I have is the difference in culture building between uh, men's teams and women's teams in your experience. Men's teams, although it's going down, I think men's teams are more likely to be direct, but I, I see that um, gap, uh, I guess, getting smaller uh, throughout the course of time. But that would be the number one thing where they will be more direct in their confrontation than women. And on the women's side, um, that, or is that the big difference between the two? That's the big difference because the lack of directness, sometimes um, we have to really work with women's teams to get them to be more direct. Um, when you're not direct in conversation within a team, you tend to talk about people instead of two people. And that's when most of the trust issues start. That's the death by a million cuts. Got it. Okay. Next question. If I'm a coach and I really have never focused on building, specifically building a culture, I've sort of let different, different teams develop their own way. And every team and group has a different personality and I sort of flow with it. But I'm listening to this and, and thinking, I really need to be more intentional about the culture I build. Give me the first two or three things I should do as that coach who wants to start but just doesn't know where or has never done it before. Love that question. Uh, I would start with the hot prong. So in my culture model, it's a plug. And uh, if you think of an actual plug, the part that can shock you and, and the part that makes the rest of the plug work is the hot prong. So with culture, basically you're trying to build a plug that you plug into the wall the energy from the people on your team, that's the electricity, right? So you were trying to build the plug that you plug into and it takes it to the team. So it's greater than some of the parts. The first two areas that I would work with, the first one I'll just tell you is connection. How your people connect with each other and how you connect with your people is step one to building culture. And it's the most complex, it's the hardest, but it's, it's where, where you start. Everything else becomes easier if you have a better connection. Got it. Um, biggest advantage to a strong culture or a defined culture when you are a coach out recruiting? Mm. Well, from, it, from the it, recruits it, perspective, in other words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that if, if, if a recruit is doing their homework, first of all, not that winning is the goal, but if your culture is strong, It'll be a little bit of a whiptail, maybe. It'll take a little while to catch up, but you will be more successful. You will get better results, period. Like, you just will. And those results tend to make, you know, recruit go, oh, let me look at that program. And when you can see the little telltale signs, nobody seems to want to leave. Like, you know, all of these things are happening. They look at, you know, how you're presenting yourself to the world. They watch you play, and they see that there's just joy. You can tell when a team is in their joy zone when they're playing and when they're not. When all of those things line up, it doesn't take a, you know, it doesn't take a lot of research for a recruit to go, hey, I want to play for them. That looks like a fun place to be. I mean, look at the Seattle Seahawks. You know that Pete Carroll is intentional about culture because you watch Seattle Seahawks just be, right? And so that's the biggest advantage. I mean, it just helps your recruiting. It also helps your retention, especially with the advent of the transfer portal. I mean, in business, I'll put this. I'll put it this way: people are less likely to leave a place. They will. They will turn down up to a third of a raise 
Like they could get one third more of a raise annually. And when they're in a good culture, they'll turn that down to stay in a good culture. Right. No, that's absolutely true. There's a lot of, you know, everything from recognition to advancement to praise. They, they do want that more than, uh, more than money. And there's been a lot of studies that have, have proven that, uh, you're right. Um, from a department standpoint, for an athletic director listening to this, do, do departments, can a department develop a culture that really permeates and, and is strong and meaningful to student-athletes? Yes. I believe that every department should have someone, whether it's me or not, but should have someone like me that comes in um, for a couple of reasons. If you're interested in student-athlete development and you're not heavily investing in your coach's growth and, and just like then you're not really interested in student athlete development. Facilities are not going to get it done. Like we're investing money, invest it in your coaches. Your coaches have the most direct influence on your student athletes. So uh, the other thing I would say is this, and you spoke to it earlier, like, yeah, I know my stuff, but I think my greatest value to a team or to a department is that I, I don't have, there's no hierarchy with me. I don't have an agenda, right? There's no power over here. I'm just coming in. My goal my agenda, if you will, is to help you have a better experience and perform at a higher level. And so when you work on that from the department level and you're feeding into your coaches, I'm actually going down to, I'm actually talking to a department right after this. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that I'm, I go down to six times a year, I go to this, it's a high school department and they they invested in this um, because it's, they, they believe in this so heavily. They just know that their coaches are languishing this is a really hard time to be a coach right now. And so I'm coming in and I'm not an expert on coaching. I don't, coaches just want to coach their sport, right? But if the, if the student athletes in, on their teams can't hear the words coming out of their mouth, it, they can't ever get to that part where they're coaching their sport, right? So I'm coming in and I'm just giving your coaches tools and I'm helping them develop themselves and I'm being their heartstrings a little bit. Boy, you got to believe that if the coach is happier, the players are going to be happier. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Last question. Uh, in all your years of doing this and digging into how to build culture and what coaches are doing right and wrong, good and bad examples, what is the most surprising thing you've learned just in this whole topic of culture building that you didn't know before you got into it or maybe didn't fully appreciate? What's the biggest thing that, uh, that, that surprise that you've, that you've found in all your research and, and uh, working with teams? The importance of feedback. Um, so the, the plug is encased in a round loop, and it's a feedback loop. And if you think about it, the, um, the essence of great coaching, like the difference between your you know, lower-level coach and your excellent coach, is the, the nature, the tone, the timing of the feedback that they give, right? Um, the problem is in athletics, it, it usually only goes in one direction, right? Um, and I just mentioned earlier, Gen Z really wants to have some input into, into what they do, plus where else are coaches getting feedback? Yeah, maybe they have like an annual evaluation, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about day-to-day feedback so you can have a deeper and deeper and deeper connection. Pixar Studios, they're known for excellence, especially in their culture. And this is the one thing that Ed Catmell in, in uh, Creativity Inc. is his book. Um, he, when they took over Disney Animation, he went about removing hierarchy and increasing the realness of the feedback. Because I'll tell you what, Gen Z is real good at telling you exactly what you think, what they think you want to hear. And so the importance of being able to create an environment where that feedback loop can be closed, um, I think 
I didn't plan on that being a part of the model going in. And um, it surprised me. And I'll tell you, it's probably the most important chapter in the book. Wow, that was a great conversation with Coach Teresa Beckman. She is a pro when it comes to culture and how to build it and define it for your team and use it as a way to build your program. We're going to link to all her information, uh, the way to contact Teresa and everything in the show notes. So go there as you listen to this podcast before you before you dive out and start listening to something else. Uh, make sure you you go there. And in fact, we're going to give you a free chapter, the first chapter of her new book, Managing Your Culture is going to be in the show notes. You can download that, read it for free. And I think after you read that, you're going to want this for your coaching library. And we'll give you the link on how to order that as well. We so appreciate her advice and direction when it comes to this. Again, this is her specialty. And if you wanted to work with your program, I think you should, uh, especially if you have a, some different and maybe unique team uh, dynamics at play that you're going to need better uh, help with and organizing uh, as you get into a new class uh, make sure you're contacting Teresa for her help. All her information, like I've said, is going to be in the show notes. So that's going to wrap it up for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. If you need to ask a question of me or you want to contact Tudor Collegiate Strategies, just email me, dan at dantutor.com. Be happy to help. A lot of free resources at the website as well. Uh, and we just really appreciate you listening, sharing it, uh, liking it, make sure you go into whatever podcast platform you're listening on and just give us a quick review because that helps when it gets uh, to other coaches knowing that the, this is a good resource for them. And we think it is. We hope you do too. So that's going to wrap it up for today. We really appreciate it, like I said, and uh, hope that your your end of the school year is going well. You're looking forward to a quick off season and then right back at it in developing your team and recruiting. And we're going to be here for you each step of the way. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening, Coach, to the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan. We'll talk to you next time. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2016 through 2020. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or stream us on Stitcher, and make sure to tell the coaches in your department about the show. Email the host at dan at dantutor.com and visit the website to access more of the free resources we give to the college coaching community. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.